So what is the riskiest thing you've ever done in your life? How many of you guys have asked you that question? You would have a list so long that you really can't narrow it down. Anybody have a long list of the craziest things, riskiest things you've ever done? Um, so I'm, I'm not naturally a risk taker. I'm not, nat- that's not my person. I'm not naturally someone who um, likes to do crazy, insane things. Um, I like my feet to stay on the ground for the most part. And uh, so um, I'm not naturally a risk taker. And so when I was in college, I went on this mission trip to Zimbabwe. And uh, there is this huge bridge 300 feet above the Zambezi River. And there's this bungee jump that goes off that bridge. And I was amazed at how many high school students that I was with um, did this. They actually paid like 100 bucks, 100 U.S. dollars to go on a bungee jump um, in the middle of Africa. And, uh, and I watched them all go off this bridge, and, this, and they seemed to be having fun. I was kind of stressed out for them. But, um, but people are like, Dave, are you going to go? And I'm like, there's no way I'm doing that. And uh, there are little freshman girls that were doing this deal. And here I am, like, the, you know, trying to be the macho college guy. And I'm like, yeah, well, you know, it's just kind of crazy. I'm not going to do that. That's just, y'all are just stupid, right? And uh, so um, I didn't do it. And, uh, and then we come back to the States after watching, like, 30 of my friends do this bungee jump in Zimbabwe. Um, we come back to the States, and I start thinking, you know, I mean, I could try bungee jumping, I guess. I mean, if I found a more you know, safe way to do it here in the U.S. So um, in Dallas, a few months later, this friend of mine, uh, she and I decided, you know what, we were the ones that were too chicken to do it in Zimbabwe, so we're going to do this. We're going to do it in Dallas. And uh, so we had this night where all of our friends went to this place in, in Dallas, and they had like the bungee jump thing, and it was like only 70 feet instead of the 300 feet that we were witnessing in Zimbabwe. And so somehow, this is so against my personality, somehow... I actually did it. I went and paid the money, and it was like a 75 or 80-foot drop, which that sounds crazy to me now. I'm like, why did I even? That's just so foolish. And yet um, it was this crazy moment when you're having to, your, your feet are strapped together, and you're having an inch forward to the platform, and you can look down. You see all your friends, and they're giving this like, yeah, Dave, go, go. And I'm like, I'm such an idiot. What am I doing? And, and your feet are together. And it's the weirdest feeling when you're about to just fall off the edge of this 75, 80-foot drop. And all I could think of is it's a good thing I'm wearing diapers right now, you know. Um, I didn't actually wear diapers, just so you know. Um, but, but so I did it. I did it. And, uh, and I, I want to ask the question this morning, why, is it people, why, why do people do these kinds of risky things? So I want to show you this video. This is a video of of someone jumping off the bridge I just told you about in Zimbabwe, and look what happens. Let's go ahead and watch this video. It's supposed to be the ultimate thrill for visitors to Victoria Falls. My favorite line, the faulty cord has been replaced. Oh, thank you, Captain Obvious. Let's just tie it back together again. We can recycle this thing. What in the world? All right, so, um, 
so after seeing this, this happened like a few years after I went there and saw this in person. My friends do this. And I wanted to message everyone and be like, see, y'all are the idiots. Y'all are such fools, right, for doing that. And, uh, but what is it about human nature that wants to do things, wants to attach a big rubber band to our ankles and jump off a 300-foot ravine over raging rapids, crocodile-infested waters? What is it about human nature that we desire these kinds of things? Why do we do stuff like this? So your first two questions at your tables, go ahead and do questions one and two there at your tables for discussion. All right, so I don't think I have to convince you all in the room that teenagers especially have this natural bent towards risky behavior. I don't have to convince you of that. You guys, I think, know that by now. Um, so here's what, you guys, here's what you guys don't do. So whenever your parents are out of town, um, no one in here calls their friends. They have parents are out of town. So, um, you know, why don't you guys come over, and, uh, and we're going we're gonna to eat healthy, drink water, and do homework, and be in bed by 10. We're going to play it safe tonight, baby. Oh, yeah, we're going to play it safe. So, like, no one ever says that at your age, right? No one ever says that at your stage of life. Um, And here's why. Because why do people do risky things? It's because they want to tell a good story, right? We want to be able to tell a good story. Um, You want to be able to say things like in the future, say things like, remember that time that we fill in the blank, right? That usually involves some risky behavior. Uh, In fact, I saw a T-shirt at Fuzzy's this past Friday or Thursday um, I was in line to get some more queso because everyone needs more queso. And, uh, and this guy's in front of me. I'm like, you know what? I'm teaching on this on Sunday. Perfect opportunity. So I pretended to check my email. I was like, click. And, uh, and I was like, slide one right there. Um, so this guy's shirt says it all, right? He says, bad choices make good stories. Now, some of you guys are like, I think that's my dad. Oh, no. Like, it's my dad's shirt, I think. Um, but, uh, but it's true, like most of us, we do risky things because we want to be able to tell a good story, tell a funny story, tell a great story, and this is how a lot of us uh, think a lot of the time. So, what is risk? Here's how we would define risk for you. Risk is any action that exposes you to the possibility of loss or injury. Now, how many of you guys like define it that way at your tables? I mean, a summary of that, right? Something like that. It exposes you to, to the possibility of loss or injury. So there's risk because you don't know how things are going to turn out. That's what, involves, that's what risk involves. So many people risk all the wrong things for all the wrong reasons, and we do this in many ways. Um, we risk, um, especially at, at your stage of life, people risk all kinds of things for the wrong reasons. And, uh, but a question, I'm not going to have you discuss this question, but I want you to just, just to think about it. Is it possible to take risks even for God, but still do it for the wrong reasons? And I would say to you that it actually is possible because sometimes we can, we can take the whole risk theme and be like, I'm going to live a risky life for God, and yet we still want to build up ourselves and glorify ourselves even though we're taking these risks for God in the name of, of God and the gospel. So that can happen, I think, sometimes. And uh, because many of us, if we risk it all, if we risk anything at all, we do it for our own glory and not for God's glory. 
Um, in the Bible, we see many people who took great risk. And one of the most obvious, I think, is Paul. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. One of my favorite passages that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We'll start in verse 24. And Paul's talking about what he's been through for the sake of the gospel. He says, verse 24, Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. So you, I'm sure most in here have seen The Passion, the movie The Passion or something like that. And you've seen the beating that Jesus took on our behalf. And you know, many of you know the story that this was not just a, a leather whip and that was it. There were metal objects and stone objects that were in this whip embedded there. So the, the, the point of it is to rip off flesh every time they beat someone. And so 39 lashes is what Jesus took. And the Bible says that Jesus was unrecognizable after he took that many lashes. So what happened to Jesus one time happened to Paul five times. I can't imagine looking at the back of Paul and what it must have looked like. He must have been unrecognizable himself, having taken that many beatings five different times. He says, three times I was beaten with rods. Can you imagine that? Like a rod, being beaten with a rod three different occasions. Once I was stoned, and I don't mean the way in which your friends do that, but he was stoned like with rocks, like not pebbles. These were rocks the size of someone's head trying to crush your head. This is, he, he was beaten with, uh, he was, he was uh, people threw rocks at him trying to kill him. Three times I was shipwrecked. That means that the ship broke apart and they're floating in the sea. He even says, I spent a night and a day in the open sea. So Paul grabbed a piece of driftwood and he floated for a night and a day in the Mediterranean Sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers. So think about this. They didn't have, they didn't have bridges just everywhere. If you were on a journey and you came to a river, you had to decide, do I care enough about crossing this river to risk my life? So maybe you find a shallow spot. If you can't, you might swim across. I mean, that, that's how they would have to or find someone with a boat and take you across. But this was dangerous. This was dangerous. So there's rivers in danger from bandits. I'm just glad the Bible has the word bandit in it. That's just something kind of cool. In danger from bandits. In danger from my own countrymen. So I'll remind you, his, the, the, the Jewish people that Paul knew, Paul was persecuting Christians as a Jew. Then he converted to Christianity. He started following Christ. And now the same people that he was with are now trying to kill him. Because he's now a traitor. So his own people are trying to kill him. He says, in danger from Gentiles. So Paul gets it from both sides, Jews and Gentiles. So no one is safe. Okay? In that part of the world, everyone was either a Jew or a Gentile. A Gentile is a non-Jew. So that's a good cat. That's two categories. Gentiles, non-Jews, or Jews. That encompasses everyone. So that means Paul is really in danger from all sides. Anyone is a potential threat to Paul. He says, in danger in the city, in danger in the country. Now today, if um, we're going to New York in a couple of months for a mission trip, and I know that, that some people 
they get freaked out by the city. They get freaked out by, oh, the city's a dangerous place. The city's scary. The city's so dangerous. And cities can seem dangerous today. But we tend to think that the countryside, the rural parts, is more safe and the city's dangerous in our culture today. But in that time, it was really, it could be either one. It could be the city. It could be the country. Because if you're out in the country and you're just on a journey somewhere, there's no real sense of institutional justice or institutional um, hierarchy. So that means that anybody could just approach you and just try to kill you and take your stuff or steal food or whatever you might have with you. And so there was no place that was safe. The city wasn't safe. The country wasn't safe. In danger at sea. In danger from false brothers. These are people that are pretending to be Christians, maybe to infiltrate and try to get to Paul and harm him. Verse 27, he says, I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. And then I want you to see here, he, he's without sleep, without food, without, without uh, water, without food, and without clothing. Those are the basic needs that any of us need to exist. And if you're like me, if you lack any of those like four or five essential things in life, those things become priority. Everything else gets pushed to the background until I can get food and water. And, you know, you've seen those recent commercials just about coffee. People are like, I can't talk to anybody if I don't have my coffee. That's such a weird thing to me. Um, Okay, it's fine to love coffee, but... Don't be a jerk about it, you know. So, um, so some people need these things to survive, and Paul doesn't have the five basic essential elements for life. And yet, look at his next statement. Verse 28, besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. So after the list you just read, what blows, me, blows my mind about this passage is that if, this, if all these things happen to me or to you, our last concern would be for the church. And yet Paul says after, and, and you add up all these things, and the final thing, the most important thing, is that um, I face daily the pressure of all the churches. That just blows my circuits because it shows that in spite of what Paul is struggling with and dealing with, he cares most about the church and the state of the church. And he still cares about it in spite of the fact that everything else in his life is a wreck. It's very convicting. In fact, if you and I encounter the kind of, uh, of, of barriers that Paul encountered here in this passage, we would just call that, well, I guess it's just not God's will. We call it a closed door. God's just kind of closed the door to the ministry I was going to go over here to these people. And, I mean, after all those trials I've been through, I'm gonna, I get the message, God, you don't want me traveling anymore. I'm done with travel. So, so the verses here really blow my mind. Um, here's the reality. A lot of us, we're, I, I think you're more bent towards risk in your younger years. And as you get older, you tend to be less so. You tend to be like, oh, I got a wife and kids. I got to be careful. I got to live safe. And you tend to be less inclined toward risky behavior, usually the older you get, unless you're just stupid. All right, but for most people, it's like the older you get, the less risky you, you tend to live. So, but here's the thing: this kind of suffering 
um, shouldn't surprise us. We see Jesus promised it would come in Luke 21, verse 16 to 19. He says this, You'll be betrayed even by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends, and they'll put some of you to death. All men will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. By standing firm, you will gain life. Jesus says, for some of you, those closest to you are going to betray you. Family relationships will betray you because of your faith. And, um, you know, people say often today, they'll say things like, you know, well, whenever you're suffering, they'll say, well, at least you have your family. At least you have your relationships. And Jesus says, no, you're not going to even have your relationships. Your closest network of people are going to turn against you because of your faith and trust in me. And I really don't know what to make of verse 17. It says, all men will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish, which is just great. Like, everyone's going to hate you, but don't worry, your hair's going to be just fine. Your hair will be just fine. And uh, so I want you to discuss, how is this possible? There's this, this, this uh, conflict in this verse. I want you to discuss question three, where it says, they'll put some of you to death, but not a hair of your head will perish. How can both those statements be true? Go ahead and discuss at your tables. So I wanted you to take a quick stab at that question because it sets us up for the next few verses here in Romans chapter 8. I think Romans 8 helps us answer this question. So look at Romans 8, verse 35 to 39, where Paul says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So how does Romans 8 answer the question that we just asked, to, asked of you? I think here's what he's trying to say. If when it comes to when Jesus says a statement in Luke 21 that um, that they'll put some of you to death, but don't worry, your hair's going to be okay. It's not going to perish. I think it's a it's a metaphorical statement, meaning you might even die. But when he says you're going to be okay, he's saying ultimately, eternally, you nothing can separate you from my love for you. You might die, but ultimately you're going to be okay when, it, when you look at the grand scheme of things. When you think about death, if, if I were to ask you to define death, you all might say, well, it's the end. Death is the end. Well, death is not the end. Death is separation. Physically speaking and spiritually speaking, death is simply separation. Death physically is separation of body and soul. Death spiritually is separation, us being separated from God eternally if we don't know him. That is spiritual death. So death is separation. And so he's saying that even if you die, nothing can separate you from me. Nothing can separate you from me. And so um, nothing can separate us from his love. See, God's love does not eliminate risk. In fact, following Christ brings about risk. Following, following Christ creates risk 
for us. When you and I suffer loss, most of us question God's love as the first thing we question. We think of, I suffer loss, and so God must not love me. And Romans 8 reminds us that's not the case. Um, We suffer loss. We often doubt God's love. Romans 8 reminds us that God, nothing can separate us from the love of God. The Christian life is a risky life. The Christian life is a risky life, but it's also a joyful life. And no risk means no joy. No risk means no joy. I've never met someone who is a joyful Christian who wasn't also someone who's willing to risk great things for the gospel. Show me a bored Christian, and I'll show you someone who never risks anything for the gospel in Jesus. Many would say that, that, that teenagers especially are bored in their faith. And I would say that might be true. But there's a lot of adults that are bored in their faith too. And it's because no one, anyone who's bored in their faith, I, I would say probably 100% of the time, that person isn't risking anything for the sake of the gospel. And this is why they're bored. This is why they're bored in their faith. You see, safety is a myth. So we try to, a lot of us try to, um, make our lives in such a way that, that we can be safe and live safe. And the whole idea of safety is just a complete myth. Even if you think you have it, I mean, even in the world that we live in today, a lot of the things that, that Paul described that he were, were dangerous to him are not necessarily dangerous for us today. Um, you are never too far away from being able to call 911 and have someone come intervene. There is still a lack of safety, of course, today, but this thing gives you a false sense of security. Safety is a myth. We can't, there's no way to be completely and totally safe in the world that you and I live in. So John Piper says this next statement. He says, risk is woven into the fabric of our lives. We cannot avoid risk even if we want to. Ignorance and uncertainty about tomorrow is our native air. All of our plans for tomorrow's activities can be shattered by a thousand unknowns, whether we stay at home, under the covers, or ride the freeways. One of my aims is to explode the myth of safety and to somehow deliver you from the enchantment of security because it's a mirage. It doesn't exist. Every direction you turn, there are unknowns and things beyond your control. So we're in the middle of this series, The Wasted Life. And so the point of today has been to to let you see how um, if you're someone who doesn't risk for the sake of the gospel, you will live the wasted life. You will, you will waste your life. And I mentioned a while ago how there's just a, lot of bored, there's just a lot of bored Christians out here. I can be one of them a lot of the time. And especially, I think, at your age. And I think here's the reason why I think a lot of us are bored in our faith. And I think especially why some of you might be bored in your faith. Here's why. Because the kind of Christianity that's often presented in our churches seems like this. Come to Jesus so he can give you a good, clean, safe, sanitized, pretty life. And that's the gospel that we often present, I think, in our churches. It's all about just being a good Christian where you just obey your parents, you believe in Jesus, you go to church on Sundays with your Bible tucked under your arm, you sit down front, you listen to the sermon like a good boy or a good girl, and you take some notes And for many of you, by the time you graduate high school, 
you just want to spew that kind of Christianity out of your mouth. You're like, I'm done with it. I have no interest in that. I have no desire for that. And you don't get it. Like, you don't really understand what this is all really all about. And I think it's partly our fault as church leadership that we've presented to you this clean, safe, nice, sanitized Christianity. And this is what it means to be a Christian. Because when we open the Bible up, if we open up the Bible, what I just described to you is not the version of Christianity that we see in this book. We don't see a nice, clean, you know, just good, be a good person kind of faith in this book. Not the picture we see. Following Christ doesn't lead to some just clean, sanitized life, and that's it. It's not the point of it. We see a lot of risk in that book. We see risk all over that book. And it's not for self-glory. You look at me, look at who I'm, look at what I'm doing for the gospel. It's not about self-glory. This is why I was praying and thinking through just the theme that we're going to go with for Impact Camp coming up. And the theme that I just was, was placed on my heart about two months ago is, is the theme Righteous Rebellion. And I went with that theme because um, for a few reasons. Many people your age are all about the idea of rebellion. That's obvious. And this might surprise you, but I want you, and I think God wants you, to live a rebellious life. But not in the way that you think of as, as rebellion, typically. He wants you to live a life that's righteously rebellious. Righteously rebellious. He wants you to live as, yes, a Bible-believing, God-honoring, Christ-following Christian. And I think that is the most rebellious life we can live in the culture that we're a part of. Following Jesus, listen, following Christ is the most risky life you can live. And I know this kind of goes against what you normally think of as risky and how you normally think of the Christian faith. But just follow me on this. When you leave here, when you graduate from here, many of you guys are going to be tempted towards the party scene if you're not already, or you'll get caught up in that destructive relationship with a guy or a girl, start progressing sexually. And you're drawn to that, yes, because, yeah, it's fun and it's risky. But there's also something attractive just about rebelling against what you've been told. We see that in the Garden of Eden. We see what's the one thing they want to do when God said, don't do this. They want to do that one thing. So there's something in our nature that just wants to do the thing that we're told that we shouldn't do. So here's what happens to many of you. If you grew up in the church, which if you're here, you kind of are growing up in the church, obviously. So you've been taught certain things, and this is your circle for the most part, the church world, the Christian world. And, and there's certain things about it, some of the trappings of the Christian life and the church and all that it brings they just make you want to just throw up. You're like, I, I just can't stand it. I want to get out of it. I can't wait till I graduate and get out of here. And I can be on my own and have freedom. And I can be a rebel. But then here's what you do. Watch. You rebel against the things in here, of course. 
But then you enter into the culture and start adopting the philosophies and ways of the culture. And here's what happens. You think you're being rebellious and you think you're being independent. But what happens? You end up looking like everyone else in the culture. You end up in your effort to be nonconformist to what you grew up with. You end up being conformed to another world, and you're just like everybody else. You're just like everyone else. And so in your effort to be different and unique, you end up just like everyone else. Or maybe the party scene isn't your thing. Maybe you just want to get caught up in, you know, making money and being popular and powerful. You live a clean life, but you're going down the work, the workaholic road. And do you know how easy it is? Listen, do you know how easy it is to find people like that in our culture? Do you know how easy it is to find people in our culture that are living for the party scene? They're everywhere. They're everywhere. I can find them anywhere. It's the predominant kind of person that you're going to find in our world, right? And so who's the real rebel? Is it someone who rebels against God only to follow the culture and look like everyone else? Or is it someone who rebels against the culture to follow after Jesus? Who's the real rebel? And I understand it, it, it can seem like in the church that we're just inviting you into this clean, safe, sanitized life. But that is not the invitation of Jesus. And that's not what the gospel brings. The gospel brings risk. It does not bring safety. And so Jesus says, follow me so I can teach you how to risk the right things for the right reasons. When you think about risk, risk comes down to love. It comes down to love. Look at this next statement. When you love your life more than you love God, you will not risk anything. When you love God more than you love your life, you will risk everything. And so you and I really have two choices, to risk for the gospel or to live the wasted life. Go ahead and discuss your last few questions at your tables.